Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. It's really important when we're working with people as aspiring psychologists or beyond that we understand just how important the early stages of life are and the early stages of bonding and attachment and nurturance uh, between caregivers and newborns. And someone who has specialised in this over recent years is Professor Amy Brown. She's a psychologist, an author, a researcher. She specialises in researching infant feeding, maternal mental health and public health. She has published a number of books on this topic as well, and all of them are just wonderful. I hope that you will find this episode to be really useful in helping you think about any key and pertinent issues around this key stage of development and how and why it's important for us to understand this theory and this practice as we go through our career in psychology. Um, So just want to welcome along um, Professor Amy Brown, who is um, an all-round research genius in my eyes. Uh, Welcome along, Amy. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. So I thought it might be useful for us to think a little bit about your journey with research uh, and also feel free to say what you do currently as well. Oh, gosh. So I'm a professor of child public health at Swansea University, where actually I've been since my undergraduate. I'm one of those very lucky researchers who did their undergraduate, their master's, their PhD at the same university and also then managed to get several jobs at the university. So it is possible. You don't necessarily have to move around it if anybody tells you that. So I run a research centre I run a master's programme, I have numerous PhD students and different research projects and then I also do quite a lot of writing in terms of media articles and engagement with the media, I run a website and I've written I think it's 10 books, I've actually lost track at this stage, so I think it's 10, all about the research that I do, but trying to make it accessible for those who read it. So my research is into early parenting experiences and birth and pregnancy and feeding babies and mental health in particular. And it's about writing guides for parents, health professionals and just those people who work in that area. I just want to say thank you, really, because I think your (laughs) books are incredible. You know, I first picked up 
uh, breastfeeding uncovered when I was feeding my um, eldest who's now eight and a half and I just never read anything like it before you know it was on my side it was humorous and it was evidence-based you know you're really funny <laughs> I think <laughs> I think I think that I think that helps you know and it also you know inspired me to think about putting my own books together to get my you know words out there and so I just think you I just think you're incredible Amy <laughs> thank you it, it's about that gap that I think sometimes you have practitioners and writers who are outside academia and clinical practice and they write books in a certain way and then you have sort of academics and practitioners who might be very very evidence-based and it it tends to be it's, it's excellent it's really you know research driven but it's more challenging to read as a textbook or you know a seminal text on a subject so it's what I try to do is kind of bridge that gap so that it's really evidence-based and it's supported by lots of references and research but you can sit on the sofa on a Sunday evening and read it or you can download it on Audible and take it on your dog walk with you want it to be accessible really I think that's the, the key word in it all and it really is. You do it effortlessly. You know, I have said before that Breastfeeding Uncovered is one of my favourite books on any topic, not even just kind of um, infant nutrition. But, you know, what you do really works and it really matters, actually. Your um, first year of parenting book, I think, should be given out to people with, you know, with their Emma's diary or whatever, you know, because it's, it's so useful. And actually, I would have been much kinder on myself as a parent um, had I read it so I was definitely in um, in the attachment parenting camp um, and I read is it there's a lovely book by a doctor is it Dr Sears his stuff felt like real real sort of soul food as a, as a parent but actually yours is so much more compassionate um, and you know I just really like I just really like it I even like the yellow pages in it like just, <laughs> <laughs> so you know what you do what you do matters and you're somehow you, you know you're doing it you're bridging that gap between textbook and freaking useful stuff I think it's I think I write to myself. I think I write what I needed 15 years ago. And I know what new parents need because I've been there three times. And I think that when you have some distance from that, you start being able to be more open. So you can admit that things were really tough or that some days you really didn't like it. Or you could admit all those thoughts you had in your head about running away and never coming back. And that, Parents often say to me on social media, it's like, it's like, how do you know this about me? <laughs> like, it's some sort of magic. And it's like, no, no, you, you just basically are me, but sort of 10, 15 years behind me. That's all. Definitely. Definitely. We've all had those moments of <laughs> hiding as we go and eat something to hide from our children, to like have a moment to decompress and just feeling like, you know, who's, who's let me be the grown up with these children? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Who said I can do this? Because I think we need a recount here. <laughs> How did you get started in? So I love that you actually, you know, our dads told us growing up there is no such thing as a job for life these days. But you are you're disproving that certainly in uh, Swansea. How did you get started in academia? Oh gosh, right. So when I was an undergraduate student, like many psychology students I wanted to be a clinical psychologist and it's almost a funny story <laughs> it's kind of in hindsight that I think you end up where you're meant to be so I really wanted to be a clinical psychologist but I'm also 
a person who really absorbs other people's emotions really really strongly so I get quite distressed if friends are distressed you know I watch tv and I'm feeling everything and I thought okay right hang on I don't think you're going to be able to cope with clinical psychology you're you're just going to be a mess the whole time so I thought I'd go into that really non-emotive field of research and I kind of started on the edges of, of nutrition research so I was really interested in childhood nutrition and and mental health kind of more broadly but I was going to do my PhD on I can't even remember what it was meant to be on though I think it was feeding older children so it's older children's diet around emotional feeding practices so the idea that you know not bribing children with food not rewarding them with food like all good plans um about a week into that PhD I realized that I was pregnant with my first baby and this you know this is a whole other kind of theme of this you know as People told me then, oh, that's the end of your career in academia. Are you going to come back to it? You're never going to manage with one baby. So I had three instead, (laughs) just to prove them wrong. Um, But I became fascinated by the experience of maternity care. So infant feeding in particular, because all the way through pregnancy, people kept telling me that breastfeeding was really, really important and, and you must do it. And it was, you know, really important for the baby and yourself. And then I had that baby and I realized that actually a, a lot of the support and care around feeding your baby and your own mental health was was missing. And I kept meeting other mothers like you do when you've you've got a baby, you go to the baby group. And when they saw me breastfeeding they would always tell me their story and it was usually something along the lines of they really wanted to but their baby fed too much or they couldn't get the support they needed and it was like they kept having to justify but there were all these myths around feeding so they'd keep telling me oh I couldn't feed because of x and I'd think well that's not you know with with the right support you might have been able to to feed them so I just became fascinated in the whole issue of barriers to breastfeeding and the lack of support and then subsequently the impact upon mental health which is where we come full circle because I've ended up doing so much research now into the grief and the trauma and the increased risk of postnatal depression that comes alongside not being able to meet your own feeding goals so not being able to breastfeed for as long as you wanted to experience lots of pain and difficulty and of course the level of emotion and grief and just distress that goes alongside all of that is immense so you know you have 20 year old me deciding oh no we can't possibly be a clinical psychologist because there's just too much emotion and distress involved and yeah, no, you can't escape from what you're meant to be doing. It's basically the lesson of all of that. Your path found you. Um, yeah. and you're, you're doing you're doing such worthwhile and worthy work. But also what interested me in what you said is is something that I experienced a lot in in my burgeoning career and probably still now too. But it's what unhelpful messages people give you about yourself along the journey. You know, you couldn't possibly do that and you won't do that and you'll never get to there. And perhaps you should try a bit, you know, aim a bit lower. And that's not that useful, is it? No, it's it's a complete red rag to a bull for me, to be honest. As soon as somebody tells me I can't do anything, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it 10 times more of what you just told me I can't do. But I I was told that so many times. I mean, 
my PhD supervisors were brilliantly supportive, but people around me told me my career was over and I'd never succeed now. And isn't it a shame because I was doing such good PhD work, but I had, you know, I would say I had two and a half babies during my PhD because I was about 20 weeks pregnant at Viva. Um, I just got the corrections in before he was born. And, you know, if, if anybody is reading this as a PhD student, I actually found that it worked really well because, well, for my type of PhD anyway, because A, I was conducting research with families, so it actually gave me more accessibility and more credibility. But also I could I could just fit it around them. I didn't have to be in an office job nine till five every day. So it was actually a, a one of the easier times, in my opinion, to ha actually have them at, at that point. They certainly never stopped me. And of course, once you have children, you, you, you don't really get the option to just stop and <laughs> not, you know, carry on. You, you, you have to keep working to support them. And that's essentially what I did. I just kept going. I wish I could say there was some big strategy with all of this, but it was just persistence, I think. Alongside luck, you know, positions coming up at the right time, um, being able to have the skills of writing easily. So I had lots of publications, so I was getting um, research positions and then um, academic posts. But they certainly never stopped me. They they helped. I don't think I'd have the career that I have without them, both through the drive to keep going and prove everybody wrong, <laughs> make sure that they were supported, but also just the huge understanding and access to the area that I was researching. Life happens whilst you're waiting for your psychology career to start, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. But actually what you're saying is it really makes your career as well. You know, I was... I remember being in cams placements and things and thinking, oh, they're going to say, have you got any children? And I'm going to be like, no. Um, and I, But I definitely feel since becoming a mother, it's broadened my ability to connect with others and to understand. You know, I was already pretty much an empath anyway, but I really feel that, you know, becoming a parent and then losing a parent as well has just helped me on so many levels uh, and actually I don't spend all of the sessions crying so you know it's, <laughs> we do all right we do all right um, it sounds yeah it sounds like you actually you know absolutely made hay whilst the sun shone um, yeah. as you were developing your career yeah and it, it just gave me insight into what was missing from a research perspective that I was having these experiences and at the same time I could see the gaps in the literature and I just I think I was kind of riding a wave at the time that we're talking back 2005, 2006 here. So my eldest is nearly 16. And at the time there was a kind of gap in the early parenting, midwifery, infant feeding literature around the psychology of all of this. So there was great research around, you know, breastfeeding from a um, health professional perspective and you know supporting mothers so in terms of peer support and professional support there was less around some of the core areas of psychology and it was just kind of really bringing mental health into it so although there was research around postnatal depression and feeding experiences there were gaps that I could explore in more depth and take advantage of is, is the wrong word, but take advantage of from a research perspective in filling some of those gaps, particularly around the lasting emotional impact of not being able to breastfeed. And we're taking that further now, looking at the 
emotional experiences and mental health impacts of receiving donor milk if your baby is premature or unwell. So there's there's so much still to be done. And it's just a really good overlap of psychology with that really early parenting experiences. It really is. And actually, it raises really valid and important points. Mm -hmm. You know, this feeding trauma, it's a thing. And actually, so many of the people I've worked with in adult mental health services, um, women, um, they, you know, they, they recount when they were trying to feed their baby. And nobody's ever thought to ask them a question. But when you look at postnatal depression, and you look at how it developed, so often it's about that, you know, you're taking really exhausted women, you're giving them false information, you're, you know, shoehorning them to kind of top up their baby and to give food that they might not want to give and and they're not allowing mothers to develop their own trust in their ability to feed and this you know this isn't supposed to be an episode about breast is best it's not it's about being informed isn't it and actually being able to make choices and having professionals that are supporting you and giving you evidence-based advice and guidance yeah and it is about listening to women as well um whenever I've done research around mental health and infant feeding experiences it's it's split into two parts so it's about the actual infant feeding experience and not being able to feed your baby in in the way you wanted to but then it's about the dismissal and people not listening once that has happened so one of the big issues across birth and early parenting is the tendency for people to say that it doesn't matter So usually it comes from a good place. So it's things like after a difficult birth, people will say, well, look, your baby's healthy. They're here. It's fine. And of course you want that, but it's completely ignoring the the trauma that you've just been through as if you don't matter. And with feeding babies, if you're somebody who really wanted to breastfeed and it didn't work out, and that's because you weren't supported and you couldn't do what you were promised that would happen, then of course you're going to have grief around that. You're going to have all sorts of emotions. And when people then just tell you it doesn't matter, it's it's so dismissive. And it's not a judgment of using formula and you're not necessarily unhappy about using formula. You can be very happy that your baby's fed and thriving, but it still matters to you. And when that's dismissed, then I think that's what sets up this long-term emotional impact because you don't get a chance to process it and you're told it doesn't matter so you just bury it down and of course it comes out at later stages it's that constant invalidation whilst actually trying to be quite helpful in the process of accidentally invalidating someone and I think that's really useful stuff for our audience to hold on to you know to not be too quick to smooth things over and say it's all fine because look baby's baby's brilliantly healthy and look what a good job you did you know still still doing what you needed to do to get your baby you know healthy and well but um yeah this in terms of it sounds like you've done some really wonderful user-led research but (laughs) It was, you know, it was stuff that you recognised needed to happen, but has led to really brilliant outcomes. Have you got any advice for how other aspiring psychologists might be able to kickstart their own research um, efforts? I think it's around just if you've got a passion for something, never giving up and just taking those first steps to actually get it done. I know that sounds, you know, kind of simplistic, but... Don't let anybody stop you or tell you that that research area doesn't matter. Um, That's one of the other unhelpful messages that I've had along the way is that at least two very senior academics, um, not at my 
university um but at different universities told me that if I wanted to progress, if I wanted a permanent academic post, if I ever wanted to be a professor in the future, I had to stop focusing on this niche area of infant feeding and early parenting and do something far broader. And I thought, no, I don't. You're daft. Go away. Might have been a slightly less <laughs> polite version than that. But, you know, they, again, please don't tell me what I can't do because <laughs> that's just going to encourage me to do it. But if you think something is important it's it's worth starting with that that small scale research and it will build um you've got to start somewhere and that first piece of research is going to be a, a learning experience um it's going to have mistakes in it that's just normal that's a part of research but it's about building up that overall picture over time and what might just be a small study and you think isn't might not be fascinating to the wider world probably is fascinating to somebody else and they'll see it and they'll build on that and collaborations take time but it's planting those first seeds I guess and having the confidence to take that first step and say this is important stuff. Can, it, can anyone do it Amy? So if people are listening and thinking I kind of thought I needed like a research supervisor or a real grown-up <laughs> to help me through this process or can anyone kind of look to do you know research eth ethics and, and get started and do something that's interesting and useful yeah I don't, I don't know about this grown-up stuff I haven't met any to be honest <laughs> I think if we wait around for a grown-up we're, we're going to be waiting a long time I think you know research ethics is is really important so it's around working out where you're going to get permission from a ethics committee it, it's worth contacting if you're working out in clinical practice and you can see an academic working at a, a university email them get in touch with them and say i've just got this really interesting idea because we love collaborations particularly with people who are working out there in practice you know i'm I'm not going to say I sit in an every tower because I don't. Um, I work with, you know, talk to parents via social media all the time, but I'm not working in practice. I don't have that experience. So it's about recognising the value of what you do have and working in collaboration if you haven't got um, access to an ethics committee. So please That's do such, reach out. Yeah, look at... Such wonderful put it, advice. Put it into Google Scholar and see who's doing research vaguely in your area and get in touch with them. That's honestly, that is like golden advice, because I think when you're sort of going down a route where you're doing like the, you know, you're doing the relevant experience um, section of your CV, it can feel like, well, no one's really doing any research in this department. So I can't really tick that part of my CV off right now. But actually, you can because you can do stuff outside yeah. of that or you can do it in parallel. Absolutely. Or contact a university that has a research team in your area that you're passionate about um, and see if you can do some research you know as a honorary research assistant alongside them um, you know I can't say that everybody will always say yes but certainly we have people who we employ on short-term research contracts to do a, a little bit of research around their training and you then have um, you know access to all the the research learning and knowledge that goes alongside it. Um, ask if you can do a placement on a, a, a research project. You know, just get in contact and ask because, you know, th that's the beginning of the conversation. It really is. And, you know, you never know. The answer might well be yes. Um, and, you know, that can be really useful for you, but also the, the populations that you're researching. People are going <laughs> to 
love what you've what you've said today Amy it's going to really boost people's confidence you know because when you're applying for whatever branch of psychology it is that you're aspiring to you know you get the feedback form um I don't know if you ever have got around to applying for anything like um for clinical but you get it broken down into what's wrong about you you know why your application didn't make you know more so it's more varied clinical experience more relevant clinical experience um, academic stuff needs strengthening and so often people are saying it's the academic one actually and I don't feel I don't know where to begin so people will really really find your words so incredibly useful today thank you oh good <laughs> let me please do tell us some more about your your book babies um and oh, you know gosh. what what areas you cover and how people can get hold of copies oh, i've got to remember what they are now you see we started with breastfeeding uncovered back in 2016 which has just had an update because so much has gone on in the area in the, in the last five years and there's another story about perseverance with that as well because I was initially in discussions with a, another publishing company to write that and they actually approached me and asked me to propose this book but when they took it to the higher levels um, their kind of boss person turned around and said no one's going to read a book on that it's not going to sell so of course they had to come back to me and say sorry we can't publish your book and you know I had to write you know no one's ever gonna I'm never gonna write a book <laughs> I can't write so no one's ever gonna publish me um thankfully I pulled myself together after a few days and resubmitted it to Pinter and Martin who said yeah sure we'll publish that great so that was the, the start of that and it's just an important lesson again in in rejection is a normal part I think kind of a key message throughout academia and through um, psychologist training is you are going to get rejected. It's how you deal with it that matters. Um, it's not a criticism of you, it's just the system. So from there, so breastfeeding and covered is all about the barriers that women face when they're, they're breastfeeding from a physical, psychological, social, economic level. Then it was why starting solids matters. So it's around all the research evidence and guidance around introducing solids to babies. So it's, it's again, it's bringing some research evidence rather than myths to this area. From then it was positive breastfeeding, which is a, a guide to breastfeeding. So something that was slightly out of my comfort zone at the time, it was kind of writing a book that was full of evidence-based practical advice so turning the evidence into practical and emotional support for parents but I had to back off the references which I, I'm still never very comfortable with you know the the researcher and you know student in me has to reference every line but of course you can't do that with a book directly for parents um, or that you know they don't need thousands and thousands of references they need a hug um, oh gosh what was next um informed is best so informed is best came about after yet another argument on the internet about how research evidence was being used incorrectly and myths flying about so it's it's aimed at parents and health professionals and anybody who wants to know more about understanding research really and all the tricks that the media play and the biases in funding and how basically we need to read behind the lines when we look at media headlines and research studies. We have Breastfeeding Grief and Trauma, which was the book that I was talking about earlier, which is, you know, just validating women's experiences around not being able to breastfeed and offering some ideas for how you can get more support with that. 
what's next? <laughs> um, I think that's the first year of parenting book. So let's talk about the first year of parenting, which is, um, it's a big guide, but it's it's meant to be a book that you dip in and out of. So it's it's basically all the psychology really of early parenting. So looking after yourself, your mental health, your physical recovery, all the pressures of becoming a parent, relationships, going back to work, kind of a, a guide. There's a section in there about um, babies in uh, early neonatal units as well, isn't there? I think yes. Cool. Yeah. So what happens, you know, supporting you if your baby's in neonatal care or has a disability or, you know, just your circumstances have changed in any way. We've got sections for single parents. Um, it's got everything in there. <laughs> your whole guide to that first year. Then we have oh a guide to supporting breastfeeding for the medical professional, which is actually aimed at um, medical professionals, um, and it's a edited textbook, so it's got just lots of great authors in it, all providing lots of information. It was aimed at medics due to the gap in the research training around breastfeeding and infant feeding that um, many doctors don't actually have much training around it. So we were just trying to provide an evidence-based guide. What are we up to? Are we up to seven. Um, we then have Let's Talk About Feeding Your Baby, which is a, a shorter book, which is a shorter guide to breastfeeding, formula feeding, and introducing solids. I'm sure I've missed one here. Anyway, Your then we have the, up <laughs> yeah, the updated breastfeeding uncovered. And then we've got the newest one, which is COVID Babies, which is looking at all the research evidence for the impact that the pandemic and lockdowns has had upon pregnancy and birth and early parenting and just really helping validate experiences during this time because it's been so so tough yet lots of parents have felt that they can't complain because obviously we're in a, a global crisis and pandemic but it's really about calling for more support now and support services to help parents process what they've been through and what they've missed out on and changes to the care that they might have had. I think that's it. Well done, because honestly, there <laughs> I've, I've read three out, three out of the nine, but I'm definitely <laughs> going to grab me a code of babies. Because, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, it's important stuff and you're doing it so well. And I recommend you so often and, you know, I'm sorry for fangirling all over you um, <laughs> in this podcast episode, but, you know, um, yeah, you're doing really good stuff. What's the best way or multiple ways that people can get hold of copies of your books? Um, so I have a website, um, professoramybrown.co.uk, <laughs> novel uh, website there, but it's got everything on there. So it's got, well, I'm trying to put all copies of my research articles on there, but that's, that's taking a while because there are over a hundred of them and I, you know, I, I get, I wander off in the middle of, of the task. Um, I've got loads of blog articles I've written. I've got videos to watch of presentations that I've done. And then there's just a little shop on there where you can buy signed copies and packages of books. I should say as well that uh, Lindsay Hookway and I have got a new book coming out towards the end of March, which is actually putting together all our experience of writing books and, and writing for the public. Um, so look out for that one as well, because um, that is, if you're interested in, in writing and communicating and aren't sure where to start, it's some guidance around the practicalities, but also dealing with criticism and imposter syndrome and rejection and all those things that we go through. So we're hoping that will be really useful as well. 
So useful, absolutely. And it might well be, we'll discuss when to schedule this this episode, but if it would be useful to schedule this one around when that's, uh, when, when that's going to be published, then we can absolutely do that. But, you know, you've been such an inspiration to talk to. You've been... You've never think I hoped you would be, um, but you know, <laughs> you you know you you are doing what so many people um, would would be striving to do, and you've given them some really tangible steps for how to do it. But also, you know, for anyone working with any human during their aspiring psychology journey, you've given us some really useful pointers to consider and the impact that has on them and their ability to to be a, a parent or a or child for that matter in in the world right now thank you, thank you i so think my much. main message is just don't give up just keep going <laughs> it's tough yeah. but keep going yeah thank you so much for your time amy thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening um please do come and connect with me on my socials linkedin dr marianne trent youtube good thinking psychological services facebook good thinking psychological services Twitter, Good Thinking, PS1, and Instagram, Dr. Marianne Trent. Thank you again for being part of my world and for listening right to the end. We've just got a little bit coming up about the Compassionate Q&A series, and then you can enjoy the jingle. Take care. And like I said, if you'd like to get involved with um, your own story for the Aspiring Psychologist Collective, then do check out the details in the um, show notes for how you can rest request more information. But if you head to my um, website, which is goodthinkingpsychology.co.uk um, and then head to my books, there will be information there for you. Being well supported during any interview season is so important. I have therefore uh, planned some compassionate question and answer support sessions for you. You are absolutely welcome to come along to all of them, some of them, none of them. No need to book and here are the dates for you. Monday the 28th of February from 7.30pm. Monday the 21st of March, 7.30pm, Monday the 4th of April, 7.30pm and Monday the 9th of May, 7.30pm. And they will all be live streaming via my socials, uh, which includes Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn and Facebook. So you can absolutely pick your favourite um, platform and they'll all be available on replay as well. Hope you find it so useful and I will look forward to catching up with some of you then. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. My name is Diakalola Amujo. I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, 
I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK DCLINSI application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trained clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book, as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.